Yesterday afternoon, we walked around looking at all the life group options, and obviously there's a booklet out here that gives you a further description of every one of them. But I'm telling you, if you can't find a place to belong in one of those life groups, it's on you. Because there is some place for everybody to get connected. So read this carefully. Jack's story is great. Make sure you take advantage of the opportunities. It is very difficult to be able to connect in a church this size based on sheer numbers. 15 to 1,800 people claim Community Alliance Church is theirs. And so it's a lot of people to stay connected to one another. A lot of opportunities for you to share life with each other. You're going to hear a little bit about that this morning and next Sunday in a sermon context. So take advantage of that. A lot of other information in your bulletin really could use help for children's ministries. Uh, just the opportunity to change the life of a child is phenomenal. And so if you can help us out with that, we would appreciate that. Family experience and a lot of leaders in a variety of capacities. Car crews coming up this week, last one of the season. A lot of other events. Make sure you read those bulletin inserts carefully so that you're a part of all of that. We're involved again in the backpack ministry for specifically Center Township. And that's going to begin next Sunday for the collection of that, the last Sunday of the month. So uh, a lot have been asking, are we going to do it again? The answer, of course, is yes. And that will start next Sunday. And then you'll see in the bulletin insert the last Sunday of every single month. I want to begin this morning by asking you a really hard question that I want you to answer in your mind. All right. When you think about your work environment or your school environment, when you think about your work environment, your school environment, maybe your neighborhood environment, how hard is it to stay as a believer in Christ solid when it comes to language, stories, locker room talk, and things like that? As a believer, how hard is it in your environment to stay solid based on your morals, your principles, the way you talk, how you respond to life, the stuff you pass on? How hard is it to stay solid depending on your environment around you? Now, for some people, not a big deal. I'm blessed to work here. So all of them are believers. They follow Christ. No bad stories. Crazy stuff, but no bad stories. No locker room talk that we have to deal with. Some of you are in environments that is overwhelming. And you find yourself in the middle of those environments saying, man, it is so hard to stay solid, committed to Christ, watching my language, watching how I talk, the way I react, the way I respond, maintaining my moral values in the middle of my environment. Some of you work in the mill. And some of the stuff you hear and the language you hear is unbelievable. After seminary, I come out saying, I want to get into ministry. I've had it up to here with all the knowledge. I can't wait for somebody to hear it and to share it. And so I came out of seminary, moved back to Western PA, which is where I wanted to be. I wanted to raise my family. Connie and I, both of our families were from here. So we moved back only to find out there wasn't one single church open. Ended up driving truck for Bearings Incorporated out of, West, out of Rochester, Pennsylvania, delivering to Crucible and Armco and JNL Steel. I learned a whole side of language I'd never heard in all my seminary life. There wasn't one class on any of that in seminary. And I listened to some of this stuff and I thought, whoa. I don't know how, and some of it were from ladies. 
I mean, they could cuss the wheels off of my truck no matter what I did or how I did it or how I backed that thing up or how I unloaded it. It wasn't right. And I heard in some of the most colorful language on the planet why it wasn't right and how stupid I was. My first church, my wife and I were volunteer firemen. I've loved that side of life ever since. And we both, we, we, we moved to a small community right next door to the parsonage was the fire hall. And those guys, you ever been to one of those local community fire halls where they lift up the doors, they take a chair, park it out in front of the truck, and then just sit there and watch the world go by? And all of a sudden, a new minister in town moves next door to them, and I go over and say hi, and they didn't say hi back. Took a little while, and after a while, I figured if I can't beat him, I'll join him. So I joined one of them, and I got one of them to sponsor me. In those days, they had to have somebody to sponsor them. And, and then my, life, my wife was feeding them cookies and pizzas and donuts all the time, and she said, hey, George, I want to join. He said, ain't no woman going to be on my fire department. <laughs> well, of course, that's all my wife needed was that kind of challenge. And she became the very first woman fireman in the history of Beaverdale Fire Department. And she... <laughs> Do you have any idea how many times through that six years' experience we heard, sorry, Rev, <laughs> a lot, pretty much every day. They were next door. My kids grew up in that environment. Do you have any idea how many times my kids came home with colorful language and stories? And I would again hear, sorry, Rev, police officers. Uh, first responders in a variety of ways, but police officers, I spend a lot of time working with those in law enforcement, and they see the worst side of humanity all the time. I had one ask me uh, a number of years ago, how do you keep, you deal with people all the time, how do you keep from getting jaded? Because in most cases, I see the worst of humanity pretty much every day. And after a while, that influences you and impacts you in one way or the other. You've heard me say before that all three of my grandchildren were adopted, two specifically with Eric and Aaron, and they had no control over genetics, all kinds of control over environment. They were with us a few weeks ago on our, on our vacation, and I, I watched Ike, especially the little one, who just is nonstop from 7 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, just nonstop. Aaron texted us the other day and said, this is a one-minute conversation with Ike. Hey, Mommy, look at this plate. Look at what I have on the plate. Mommy, look at this thing. It looks like your head. I'm eating your head, Mommy. Mommy, can we get a donkey? No, not a donkey. Can we get a goat? Well, we don't need a goat, but can I get a dog? Can I get a dog today? I'm going to eat all of this. I'm ready done. I'm almost done. I'm done. Can I be excused? And the answer, of course, is absolutely. <laughs> what fascinated me during that week that they were with us, how many times I would look, especially at Ike, and say, you are just like your mom. <laughs> and then I realized that it wasn't really a genetic mom or a birth mom, but the environment had shaped into who he is now. And I'll see traits of myself, I'll see, which is really scary. I pray for him all the time. If you could, that would be great. I'll see parent. I, when she texts us that, I say, honey, that's the conversation I have with your grandmother every Saturday afternoon. It just goes from one thing to the next to the next. If this is being taped, please erase that piece. I've gotten in trouble before about talking about my family. 
A number of years ago, I went down south to, uh, it was a gift that I gave my wife. I said, she's a NASCAR fan, so I said, let's go to Charlotte. We're going to visit every NASCAR group that you can imagine. Went to all the garages. I found myself after a week saying, I could fit in the south. I love the south. I could talk like the south. I said to Ron, who was here this morning, who's now moved to the south, I said, what is it going to be like in the next few years when you come and talk like a southern boy? And he said, oh, I can hear it already. And the whole week that I was there, I absolutely fit in. I talk like them. I, it, and depending on if you're from Georgia or you're Alabama, doesn't matter where you're from. I got a boy from Tennessee who's as corn, country as cornbread. And I can talk like them all the time. And I thought, I've only been here a week. I'm from Western PA. Flew with a few weeks ago with a girl in New York City. We were, I was going to a meeting. She was going to a conference and didn't know one another and talked about her parents wanting her to move back to Western PA. And finally, there was a guy that came into our company, and I knew he was from Western PA by his accent. And I'm going, we don't have an accent. Your environment has a huge impact on you. As a believer, as a believer, how hard is it in the world that you find yourself in on a regular basis? How do you keep from being influenced? What about the process of trying to fit in without going along? You don't want to feel like you don't belong to whatever environment you're in, but i got to believe that every once in a while, you feel like your values are always being challenged. The elders very graciously a number of years ago gave me a week of a study week before I come back to the fall. And I took advantage of that and I spent a lot of time before the Lord and in messages and in material that I had. And the one thing that I kept hearing back over and over again from the voice of God was these last two Sundays before kids return to college and go to school, you really need to preach these messages and share them. Now I realize that a lot have already returned to college and, but it's really an opportunity for you and I to find ourselves saying, okay, how can we help our children? How can we help the next generation in the environment they're in, not be so influenced that they become so much like it that after a while, you can't even tell the difference. The media doesn't help at all keeping our morals straight. The trailers to some TV shows or some movies are overwhelming. Somebody jumping on somebody's desk every other week. One station we watched one time advertised a single thing called Tango. And in every picture, every one of them had a hot girl on a halter top. Gun magazines, car magazines, motorcycle magazines. We're NASCAR fans. This year now, the Monster Energy Girls are the sponsors for the NASCAR group. So that when you watch that and see that, and I'm telling you, those girls are not just selling energy drinks. My wife has already written two or three letters to NASCAR and everybody else that will listen. And you look at that and you wonder, what on earth? And how do we stay moral? How do we stay focused? How does a guy keep his focus in the midst of that context? Commercials, sometimes you don't even know what they're advertising, but you know what they're doing to sell it. And some things that they advertise don't even make sense to what they're advertising. I saw a commercial for cat food the other day where a couple was half undressed only to find out the cat was watching them. And so he went over just in his boxers to feed the cat. And I'm watching that thinking, you've got to be kidding. Now, if you're honest, you've already had in your mind, what is he doing? And where is he going with this? Especially for believing men. Where do we talk about this stuff? And the way some women dress doesn't help. Now, some of you are angry that I'm bringing it up in church on Sunday, but where are you going to talk about it? 
Where do you want the next generation to learn from? Who do you want them to learn from? You want a small group challenge? Talk about this stuff. We got a group called the Conquer Series of Men's Group. And one of the beauties about it is an opportunity for guys to say, look, you have no idea what I face. You have no idea what it does to me. All the stuff that I see, all the images that they project. Men are visually stimulated. Women are emotionally stimulated. And all of that is every day bombarding us day after day after day. And very seldom does anybody ever talk about it in church. I want to paint a portrait for you today. Next Sunday morning, some of the answers. So you've got to stay with it. You've got to stay with it. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those portraits that you've, you've maybe been to a church service. We had a guy here a number of years ago, and he started on the screen, and everything looked kind of black, and you wonder, where is he going with that? And then all of a sudden, after 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you say, okay, there's something coming behind that. And then you see this incredible portrait of Jesus. We've got one out there. What I want to do this morning is to paint for you a pretty bleak and dark picture. And then I'm going to start today and finish next Sunday morning with what I believe are some of the answers as to how to stay moral in a morally depraved world. How to maintain your integrity in a world that seems to have lost its. When I started watching TV, I started in the 1950s. I love Lucy. Lucy was going to have a baby. The word pregnant wasn't even allowed in the script. Robin Laura Petrie in the Dick Van Dyke Show in 1961 slept in twin beds separated by a nightstand. Even soap operas like No Life to Live, The Young and the Useless, and As the Stomach Turns. Re- I love that line. Isn't that true, though, for all of them? Yeah. But even then, it wasn't that bad. Man, those days are gone. Some of the stuff that we see on TV and theaters is unreal. They use the phrase, I love this, parental guidance strongly suggested. You know what that's like to a kid? I got to see this. It's exactly what it's like. It's not a prohibition. It's an invitation. Anytime you hear anything like that, and I, and I, you look at the reviews in the newspaper, even the Butler Eagle of some of the movies coming out, horror violence, awful violence, when it has that little box around it, and kids are going to this stuff. In 1950, only 10% of American homes had a television. Today, 99%. More families have TVs than telephones. Over half of the children have a TV set in their room without a lot of control at all. The typical child sees more than 200,000 acts of violence, including more than 16,000 murders before age 18. And now with computers and the Internet, it is even worse. One in seven children who use the internet have been sexually solicited. Listen to this. Two in five abductions of children between 15 and 17 are due to internet contact. Two of every five. 89% of all sexual solicitations made of youth occur on the internet, or usually in a chat room. Every four minutes during primetime television, characters display sexual behavior or talk about sex. Sexual pressure among our kids is unbelievable. 35 to 45% of them 
Find it as an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, incredible pressure on them about all kinds of things. And they learn their information, not in church or in youth group, but from people who really have no moral foundation at all to give them insights as to how to be able to handle the transitions their bodies and emotions are going through. Coz and I talk about it a lot. Almost every single girl in youth group has been asked to send pictures of themselves to a friend. And believe me, it's not in their prom outfit. Almost every single girl have been asked to send pictures of themselves to somebody else. And all of them who talk about it say every one of their friends are. In 1950, there were only five STDs. Today, over 50. The size of the porn industry, $97 billion worldwide, enough to feed 4.8 billion people every day. The revenue from pornography is larger than the revenues of football, basketball, baseball, professionally combined. Over 4 million websites. Pornography use increases marital infidelity by the rate of more than 300%. The internet was a significant factor in two out of three divorces. 47 to 50% of Christian homes say they struggle with that in their home. The United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the Western industrialized world. Consequences, we got 14-year-olds raising kids. 14-year-olds should wonder about what to wear to school or to the game, not which diapers are cheaper. One in 10 kids don't have a father present in the home. Rise of crime, school shootings, church shootings, police officers are being targeted Every single day, it is out of control. The drug epidemic. 2016, there were 1,188 car fatalities. 4,642 overdoses. That's three times as many as by the car. From 2015 to 16, it rose by 37%. It's something we hear all the time, both in our local community, 13 people every day, over 100 last year in Butler County alone. Something we hear about not only locally, but nationally. In 2016, there were an estimated 40,000 people died in a car, almost 60,000 by an overdose. Compared to 1999, PA, 990. 2016, 4,600. The United States, 16,000 died of an overdose in the year 2000, in 99, the year 2016, 59,000. The uncertainty of war, the uncertainty of nuclear war. I mean, everybody for the last few weeks is talking about what's going to happen with North Korea. And is it going to happen? Is it going to happen to us? Where is it going to take place next? Unbelievable events in Paris and other European cities. Barcelona this week. And you can't help but look at that and say, we are in a world out of control. Racial issues. I feel like I'm living the 50s and 60s all over again. We're looking at my age. The tension between ethnicities, the tension between the black and the white is overwhelming. The events last week in Charlottesville blown so over the edge in regards to all sides of the issue. the, The racial and political tension is unlike anything I've seen in my life other than growing up in the 50s and 60s. The change in the definition of marriage will forever, forever change the American home. 
Sexual identity issue. Butler School District is trying to decide, do we have all of our kids wear the same gown because there'll come a day when we're not sure who's a boy and who's a girl. I'm going, you've got to be kidding. I can tell you the difference. The story, there's a picture that Jason's going to put on the screen this year about issue in city or the country of Iceland. CBS tweeted this out, and they're going to do more on it. They said last Sunday night at 10 o'clock, Iceland is on pace by virtually eliminating Down syndrome through abortion. Patricia Heaton, who is the everybody loves Raymond and the middle lady, said Iceland isn't actually eliminating Down syndrome. They're just killing everybody who has it, and there's a big difference. I could not. I could not get my face off that little girl. And you look at the world around us and you say, how on earth are we ever going to get through? How on earth are we ever going to come back from the moral depravity that we see all around us every day? And it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. Church hasn't always responded well at times. Either it isolates itself or it assimilates so much you can't even tell the difference between believers and non-believers. The worst is that it gets divided against itself over some of the basic questions of ethics and morality. Even in the church sometimes, we see people doing whatever they want. I'm free in Christ, right? I can't lose my salvation. All I do is come and confess. You tell me there's a verse in the Bible, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness, right? So that's all I need to do, right? Yes. But if you believe that sinful behavior, even among believers, has no consequences, you're wrong, and you could be dead wrong. The moral law of God says that what you sow, you will reap. The law of gravity says you jump off a cliff, you're going to fall. Saved or sinner, you're going to fall and you're going to die. That's why every parent says don't go near the edge. Don't play in traffic. You'll get hurt. Words like abstain, run from, don't do that are not given to steal our joy or spoil our fun. They're given to us for our protection. In Hebrews 13, God says the marriage bed should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure because God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. When he says let marriage be honored, he's saying, I want to spare you pain. I want to keep you from eating poison. I want to keep you from destroying your family and the next generation. It's not in any other way for any other reason but to help you understand the validity of what you just did. At a little 19-year-old girl yesterday on the stage loved. I watched her grow up, and, and I do what I always do. You're going to say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health, till death do you part. And you're going, yeah. And then I always say, you have no idea what you just committed to. And they don't. But they really do mean it when they come to this place and they understand that the commitment they made wasn't just words that were shared and things that were said to one another face to face. It was a covenant before Almighty God. And when one cheats on the other, God says, look, do you not know the pain that you're bringing in and the impact that it's going to have on the next generation? We live in a culture with no moral absolutes. What is right, what is wrong is relative. No one can say what's right and wrong. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes, which goes all the way back to Judges when God says, look, this is it. God's word says abstain. Don't do that. Run from it. What happens instead of running from it we find a world running towards it, and we're going to pay an unbelievable price. 
And now I feel sometimes like trying to stop it is like standing in front of Niagara Falls with a bucket trying to throw the water back up. Now, you've got to be wondering at this point, why is he telling us all of this, and what does it have to do with our Old Testament series? I'm glad you ask. Because what I want to do this Sunday and next Sunday is pick out two or three, one specifically Noah, but two or three characters out of the Old Testament. I love how Joe started his Hezekiah sermon a number of weeks ago when he said, look, what we really believe is that God's word is viable, livable, breathable. It speaks now. It speaks truth then. It's not just some history book that we read. I love the verse in Corinthians that God says, look, I've written all of this stuff so that you can understand the consequences of sin. I'm trying to spare you from the pain of what it's going to do to you and your family or the next generation. That's why I've written all of this down. In these next couple of weeks, I want to talk about some characters in the Old Testament, one specifically, and then look at how do you stay moral? How do you keep your compass focused right in a world that seems to be spinning out of control? In Genesis, you see a pattern. Adam lived 930 years and he died. Seth lived 912 and he died. Enos lived 905 and died. And the story goes on. And every once in a while, the genealogy slowed down enough for God to make a comment. Genesis chapter 5, he said, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, he lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Now, there is an epitaph. I mean, if you put that on my tombstone, I'd be okay. He walked with God. And then it slows down dramatically as story after story begins to unfold and it's almost as if God says, now, I want to tell you about this one. There's a lot of genealogies here, a lot of stories behind every one of them, but this one I want to spend some time on. And you find that in Genesis chapter 6. <coughs> I'm going to begin at verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. I mean, that sounds like some of the guys you work with, right? Every thought they have is only evil all the time. The Lord had, was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Fascinating view of God in that context. So the Lord said, verse 7, I'll wipe him out. I'll wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that are moving along the ground, the birds of the air. I'm grieved that I made them. That's a pretty vivid description of a world out of control, right? Sounds a lot like ours. In some respects. And then verse 11, he kind of fleshes it out a little more. He said, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all of the people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The term violence in verse 11 is used to describe violence on a grand scale. Not some of the issues that we may have seen through the years in Rwanda or Dafar or the Holocaust type of incurrences. This is corruption everywhere. The word corrupt in verse 12 in Hebrew infers that the advancement of sin had reached such height that it permeated every corner and every level of society. Can you imagine, seriously, can you imagine how bad it must have been for God to say, I'm done. I'm done with a whole lot of you. Not just a group of people, the world. I'm done. 
I've had it. I'm going to destroy it and start all over again. You've heard the quote that Ruth Graham said way back in the 70s and 80s, if God doesn't do something in America, he has to apologize for what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that quote has been going around for generation and decade after decade. And there's a lot of truth to that, and I understand that. But can you imagine how bad the world must have been at that time for God to say, I'm done with the whole thing. In the middle of all of this sin, in the middle of all of this madness, in the middle of all of this depravity, is verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. He did everything just as God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that begs an enormous question. How on earth did he do that? Right? I'm going to talk a little bit about Daniel next week. And 16, 17-year-old kid thrown into Babylon. I mean, it's like sending your teenager to Vegas. Saying, have a good time. Joseph ending up in a slave capacity in Egypt as a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid rising to the top, all kinds of power in his control, and yet he constantly continued to remain focused and concentrated on God and kept his morals in the middle of an immoral context. And so I found myself saying, how did they do that? How, how do you have such depravity going on all around you and still maintain your integrity? And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times or places in our life where it honestly is hard to maintain our biblical values. And it's not always at work or at school or in a party. For some people, it's when they're alone or in front of the computer or television while they're traveling or on vacation or in a hotel room. And if I were to ask you an honest question and ask you to fill in an answer, where is it hardest for you? To maintain your integrity. Now, maybe for 95% of us in the room, you're going, no problem. I'm, I, I just focused on Jesus. I sing hymns. Read the Bible. I, whatever you do. And I'm going to talk about some of that today and next Sunday. But I got to believe that every once in a while, when we look around the room, there is that one place or that one thing that for a lot of us in the room is really hard to maintain my integrity, to keep solidly adhering to my biblical values in that place or in that one area of my life. Now, maybe this is inconsequential to most of us in the room, but I got to believe for a few of us, it's a little bit hard. And when you put yourself in Noah's place or maybe Daniel's or Joseph's or Esther's, you find yourself saying, how did they do that? And to be honest with you, even more importantly, how can I do that? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. But today and next Sunday, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about our walk with Christ and how do we maintain our integrity in a world that doesn't seem to have much at all. I'm going to give you 10 or 11 things next Sunday morning. It's going to be in your sermon notes. I want to just give you a couple snippets of that. Number one, you'll see it next Sunday morning again, is quit blaming your environment. 
Quit blaming your environment. Some of you have come from really difficult experiences, and I totally get that. I've done counseling for the last 40 years, and I get it, and I totally understand that. But for the most part, we've got to take responsibility for our behavior regardless of our background and regardless of our issues. We live in a culture that blames everyone for everything. We sue McDonald's because the coffee is hot. The food made me fat. We sue the cigarette company because I got cancer. We blame our wives when we stray because they're not attractive enough. We blame our husbands when we, tray be, be, when we stray because they're not romantic enough. Every single addiction starts with a bad decision. And then the decisions keep made worse and worse and worse. We can't use our past as an excuse because we've got to break the cycle of sin. That's why God said over and over again, look, you keep doing this, it's going to affect the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. We interpret it somehow say, well, if I made this decision the fourth generation down, remember all those verses, how it just keeps going down that way? What he basically is saying, somebody's got to stop the cycle. Otherwise, it'll just keep repeating itself. We've got to take responsibility for our behavior. We've got to quit blaming our dad or our mom or how difficult it is to work or how difficult it is at school. We've got to quit blaming girls for the way they dress. We've got to understand and understand the context, the environment that we find ourselves in and how I can quit looking at all of that, maintain my integrity, and make sure that in the middle of it all, I realize and recognize my personal responsibility for the way I talk, the way I react, the way I look, what my mind does in the middle of that context, and how I can best do everything I possibly can with the power of God's Spirit, because you cannot do it on your own, to stay pure and to stay focused and to continue to maintain my godly biblical values in the midst of my environment. Which means then you've got to choose your environment wisely. Decisions about college have an enormous impact on your future. Decisions about college and the next steps of your life have an enormous impact on your future. And we've got to understand and how to choose wisely. Now, at the same time, God may put you there to be able to be a godly influence in the middle of all that, like Daniel, like Joseph, like Esther. But you really have to make solid choices about our environment. And thirdly, as I'll finish up today, our friends, and our relationships. That's why we offer so many ways for you to get connected with people in your life because there's so many out in other contexts that want to draw everything from you when we want to do everything we can to put the life back in you. Friendships in many cases will determine the quality of your life. 1 Corinthians 15 is quoting the Old Testament when it says, bad company corrupts good behavior. Trying to fit in without going along is a tough line to define sometimes, but the result can be catastrophic. One, one bad decision can impact the rest of your life. One bad decision can impact the rest of your life. And you and I as parents have an enormous responsibility to help the next generation, those that we influence, us as grandparents to influence our grandchildren, to help them through the process of making really solid, wise decisions because every single decision has consequences. In some cases, they're really small. In other cases, they're enormous. I'm going to pick up here next Sunday morning. It's a hard place to stop. But there are so many things that God's word, teaches, God's word teaches us to help us become who he wants us to be. So that when it's all said and done and I walk into glory and I look Jesus in the eye. And I hear him say, good job, well done, welcome home. I want to be able to look him in the eye and not shuffle around and not have 
just a thing to say because I, I just, I flushed some of our values. Now, I hope you realize that I, I, I put a target on myself by the fact that I'm talking about this stuff. Because when I go, the dominating effect, if something happens to me morally, is enormous. So I really appreciate your prayers too. God, I thank you for the privilege of your word. There are times when we look at the portrait that we're painting, we think, oh my, what is going to happen? We know that you've put us in the place of being salt and light in the middle of a really dark world that definitely needs the truth that you have to offer. So as we process that these weeks together and find ourselves in situations that are really hard to maintain our values and our, our uh, purity and our integrity, help us to constantly look to you through the power of your spirit and the power of your word and the power of good, solid relationships to continue to stay strong in the middle of a world out of control. God, it, it is really out of control. I've never seen anything quite like it in the last 40 years. So God, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the end product is going to be and when you're going to return and when you'll say one more time, enough is enough, I've done. But in the middle of it all, keep us focused on you and becoming more and more like you so that when we face you, you're pleased with what you see. Help us to help the next generation in really profound ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention. I say that knowing that you had no idea what I was going to be talking about this morning, so I get that. But I really do appreciate that. And I trust you'll come back next Sunday morning as we give you just so many resources to be able to move forward as we go through this. God bless you. If I can pray for you, I know some people want prayed for and anointed. You come this way, and we'll do that before you leave.